You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we have Ken Posner, the lighting designer for Broadway shows such as Wicked, Hairspray, Legally Blonde, Grease, Kinky Boots, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, War Paint, Finding Neverland, Mean Girls, Beetlejuice, and several other iconic Broadway shows. I've been obsessed with lighting and Ken's work for years, and I'm so excited to have him here today. Hi, Ken. Hi, thanks for having me, Mason. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Really great. Um, can you walk me through your path to um, working on over 50 Broadway shows, I think? Um, sure. Uh, I guess the, the sort of the uh, condensed version of that is I started doing community theater uh, uh, in uh, when I was around, um, I guess, helping out around backstage. My, my, my parents were involved, my mom especially, uh, probably like six or seven, and then just developed a passion for storytelling and, um, and you know, m- making theater that sort of just evolved into um, a career. And I just pursued it through grade school and then high school and into college. And then uh, from college into summer stock theater uh, and from summer stock, I moved into New York city and just sort of built a career based out of new york but a lot of work in regional theaters around the country and opera a little bit of dance um and um sort of one thing led to another and kind of here i am um so from the first production meeting for these shows to opening night what's your process of getting together a design getting together a plot and then programming what's your process for all of that um, you know, it really makes it really, it varies from project to project. Um, I don't uh, have a particular style. I really let the director and the other member of the creative team sort of drive that. Um, but um, I can be hired to do a, a project anywhere from 18 months to two years out up until a few weeks out, depending on the scale and scope of the project. But I, I, my favorite part about what we do is the collaboration is working with other people to create theater, to make, tell a story, to engage an audience, to celebrate, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's what, you know, that's what drives me. That's my passion. You were talking about getting started on shows and how people ask you to do stuff. Um, is that how it works now? Or did you start out sending out resumes and now you've gotten enough shows under your belt to get asked to do stuff? Um, the answer is yes to that. I think it really depends. Um, Certainly early, early on in my career, I was sort of building um, a name for myself. Um, and it was really a combination of um, 
you know, my career is really built out of doing summer stock theater. I made so many great contacts and friends um, in those four or five years that I was really immersed in summer stock. And I continue to do it way after that, but really sort of the, you know, the notion of doing four or five or six or eight shows in a, you know, a eight or 10 week period of time was thrilling and a huge part of my education and a huge part of, you know, developing professional and, and personal relationships that have lasted, you know, 35 years. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade those days for anything. And, uh, and I worked at some great theaters, um, Williamstown Theater Festival for a year as an intern, and then almost nearly 10 years at the Berkshire Theater Festival in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which I think now called Berkshire Theater Group. But um, that's kind of my, my foundation. Um, so it was sort of building those contacts, you know, meeting people. Um, uh, you know, one of my oldest friends in the business is Michael Greif, the director of Dear Ed Hansen and Rent. Um, two shows I didn't design, by the way, but he's one of my oldest friends. And we met at the Berkshire Theater Festival, Unicorn Theater in uh, maybe 1988. And, um, uh, you know, one of the key, one of my key, key projects for both of us in terms of just launching our career was a play that we did at Naked Angels called Machinal that then moved to the public theater and got a lot of recognition that season. Um, and kind of that, that, that project kind of launched both of our careers. And that's just, you know, one example of many, many of my, like I said, collaborators, friends that I've known over the years. So once you sort of build almost like a little network or a group of people, you know, artists that you work with, it's just, you know, it, it, it grows exponentially. Yeah. So working on shows such as like Wicked and Beetlejuice, you're working with like projection designers. Um, how do you go about weaving in and out of not overpowering them, but also not making it stand out too much? How does um, that you know, that's a great question. Um, just in terms of how does light, how do light and projection blend? And because, um, you know, projection basically is a light driven source of, you know, medium, you know, how, how, how does that collaboration occur? And I know I've been very, very fortunate to work with really talented and gifted projection designers, Peter Negrini being one of them, Lee McCarthy being one of them also, she did Wicked. Um, obviously that technology has just um, exploded in the last 20 years. But Peter actually, Peter Negrini in particular, and many, many others, but Peter is also a lighting designer. So there's a sensitivity and um, a mutual respect that we both had for each other. And we were really, uh, for, for, on Beetlejuice, for example, we were really attached at the hip. You know, and if you look at the lighting versus the, the projection or video um, for Beetlejuice, unless you have a really discerning eye, in a lot of times it's just, it's hard to tell which is which. And that's the way it should be. Um, but it just comes, it keys back to the fact that I just love the collaborative part of what we do. And, um, you know, Peter is a brilliant designer and a brilliant dramaturg. And it's just always amazing to be in the room with him. He just makes me a better lighting designer. Um, this is a very technical question that some people might not understand, um, but in Wicked, I know it's not like a normal board that you might see on Broadway. It's a grand MA, right? Yes. Um, so on, the Broadway, go... on the Broadway company, yes. Yeah. How do you go through choosing your equipment and what suits a show better than maybe the standard on Broadway? Well, 
in terms of the Brandon May specifically, I tend to defer to the Moving Light programmer on the on their console of choice. It's like you know a musician choosing an instrument, um, and at that in the in that period of time in the early two thousands, shows were still on two and in the case of Wicked three different three desks. So there was a conventional lighting desk, there was a moving a, a desk for moving lights, and then there was another desk for the projection video component of for Wicked. And the, over the years, the the and that and the moving light console was the Grand MA one. That's what Warren Flynn chose to program the show. I was fine with that. Um, and the conventional desk was uh, ETC Obsession. And I don't know what the, I don't remember what the um, video was on, to tell you the truth. It might've also been in the Grand M8. Anyway, over the years, those consoles became obsolete. It, we, technology improved. We upgraded the consoles in New York to the Grand MA2. And all those things just merged into one desk. Um, and the reason that things were on three desks at that point was available memory speed of programming, uh, those are basically the primary reasons. Um, and now the technology, the technology has evolved that all of that data, all that information can be sit inside one console because um, of the you know, improvements and evolution of the technology. On top of the programming aspect of it, um, how do you know what lights to put in the plot and how do you know what's gonna suit your design? Um, well, I'm an artist, so if you give me a light, I'll make a picture with it. Uh, in terms of choosing equipment, um, it's driven by a lot of different things. You know, the specific needs of specific show, um, space, um, availability in terms of equipment availability in lighting shops, you know, budgetary concerns. Those are all factors in, in deciding and choosing lighting equipment. And there's a lot of lighting equipment out there now. There's much more now than there was 20 years ago, many more options. Um, but at the end of the day, as an artist, you can kind of make it all work. Do I have preferences? Yes. Do I, there are other th certain things in my toolboxes because I like one, one picture's color versus one picture's ability to um, move in a specific way or do specific shutter cuts or have, you know, extra room for more um, pattern, lighting patterns whatever it may, might, might be. Again, it's really about picking the right tool for the, that suits the, the piece that you're lighting. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So a lot of your shows went out on tour. Um, so how big is, of a role do you play in transcribing the lighting plot to be able to be transported around the United States and around the globe? I'm very important. I'm very attached. Um, I'm actually heading down to Dallas next week for the relaunch of Wicked. I'll be opening in Dallas after this 18-month hiatus because of COVID. So uh, I just returned from London, uh, where we relit um, and remounted the West End production of Hairspray um, that just opened a few weeks ago in London, uh, which, by the way, the audience went crazy for. It was just so thrilling to be back in the theater. Um, and to revisit that show, it's one of my favorite all-time projects, for sure. 
Um, and also while I was in London, we moved um, uh, Pretty Woman from the Piccadilly to the Savoy. That's a show that I co-designed with um, a dear friend and colleague, Philip Rosenberg, we designed it together. So, uh, you know, very, very, very committed and attached to additional companies. And it's fun to take something that you've done at a very large scale and then make it portable and make, you know, try to bring them. I and the goal is to bring the Broadway experience to as many people as you possibly can. So that's, that's the kind of the job. How much changes in those in- instances? It, it really depends on scale and, and scope. Um, you know, a very large scale tour such as a Wicked is uh, many, many, many trucks. I think the initial, the first, the first national when it first came out, which is not what's on the road right now, it's a pared down version of that, was I think 20 trucks, nearly 20 trucks, 17, um, and then three show to show, meaning we did jumps of certain equipment just to make the time, get the show into the theater in time. Um, Wicked comes down on a Sunday matinee and then can do a performance on Wednesday evening in its first week. So that those parameters are very tightly set and um, the scenery and, uh, is very cleverly engineered to fit in trucks that way as is the lighting, as it's sound, you know, the, cat, the costumes are ca- carefully packaged. We travel everything city to city. Um, so that's why it's so many trucks and it's very organized, um, choreographed uh, um, event to load in or load out a show of that scale. Now, having said that, that's sort of at the larger end of the scale, like a Lion King Wicked sort of scale. Um, at, this, at the lower sort of, um, not lower, but um, smaller scale tours, it could be four or five or six trucks, which means that scenery that used to be hard is probably soft, there are probably fewer lights, much smaller front of house lighting package. Um, you would use uh, local follow spots. You wouldn't troop your own, for example, things like that. Um, so you mentioned the summer stock being part of your education. Um, other than that, what's your educational path to where you are and how much did education play a role in where you are now? Um, certainly very, very important. And um, I'm a graduate of SUNY at Purchase, which is part of the state um, university system of New York. And I had some great teachers there, including Billy Mincer, my mentor, Brian McDevitt was a teacher of mine. And the proximity to New York was fantastic because we had that, we could pull from that community. So a lot of guest artists came to teach. Um, at that point. And we were also able to do a little work. We weren't allowed to, but we could, you know, you could escape on a weekend and go, you know, focus a show off Broadway or help hang a show off Broadway. So there was always that kind of, um, uh, you know, proximity to New York was really helpful for me. Um, I don't have a master's degree. I just came, I came out of the, uh, of SUNY Purchase with the BFA and um, just kind of went right to work. I was able to get into the United Scenic Artists internship program for lighting design, which doesn't exist anymore. It has kind of come and gone over the years, but that's how I got into the United Scenic Artists, which is the union for designers, the local for designers. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it was just about, uh, you know, building those networks, the alum from purchase and, um, you know, just, you know, immersing in the community. 
What's the best advice you got from that education or shows that you've done in the past that you would want to pass down to future lighting designers or just designers that want to work in theater? Yeah, um, I think um, my advice is follow your passion. There are many, many, many different um, uh, occupations or not occupations, but vocation within the lighting design world. So, you know, I happen to be a theatrical lighting designer, but there you can do architectural lighting, you can light trade shows, you can light fashion shows, you can do architectural lighting, themed entertainment, um, lighting on cruise ships. There's just, the, 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 the occupation has expanded so much and grown so much in 30 years that, um, and there's so many way to, ways to be a lighting artist. It doesn't necessarily have to be theater. Um, so just follow your passion. And, it, you know, if you look at how um, clever and detailed the lighting is, for instance, in video games, um, or, you know, if you're interested in making content, you know, ultimately that's what, as a theatrical designer, that's what I do. I make content in three dimensions, but you can also be an animator and make content. So I, I would just say be, be tenacious, um, follow your passion and insert yourself into the environment that you ultimately think you want to be in or work in. Um, even if you learn ultimately that, oh, this isn't what I want to do, that's still great. Then you can move to the next idea. So the past year and a half has been crazy, um, to say the least. So how have you taken that time to like work on shows and what have you been doing during the past year and a half to work on shows? Well, I have a, it's tricky. Not a lot of work on shows actually. Um, it picked up in the last few months for sure, probably after the new year. Um, I, have a lot, I have a lot of things in the pipeline, things kept being postponed, kind of false starts. You know, you know, you know the story. Um, but really, reading a lot, um, looking at light a lot, um, listening to music, um, doing interviews like this, for example, really sort of helping. Uh, you know, doing a lot of Zoom teaching or Zoom guests appearances, lecturing, however you, however you want to phrase it. Um, uh, you know, mentoring, things of that nature. And with that. I'm sure that you are ready to be back in a theater, but other than being back in a room and back to designing, what are you looking forward to when the, as the world reopens? Um, you know, just rejoining the community and getting back in the room and being creative and making, and making theater again. And um, also very interested in the next generation and helping them, you know, uh, follow their dreams and, and enter this fantastic um, location this great world that I happen to be so fortunate to be in yeah um is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up this episode um I don't think so if you have any more questions shoot them out otherwise thank you for this opportunity and um really happy that you reached out and honored to be in this amazing group of artists that you've already interviewed very impressive well thank you so much for saying that and thank you so much for being here have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.